spoiler alert. Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. How you doing? Good, man. How's everything going? Uh, what are what are what are you watching? What's what's going on? In Dive right in. Talk about those shows. Let's talk about shows. Never trust Will Smith. Bye. <laughs> Great. <laughs> at- um, see, I don't need you. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Actually, I haven't been watching like any. I I realized today I hadn't watched any movies all week, which is very unusual for me. I rewatched okay. the Social Network, but that doesn't count. I haven't I haven't watched anything new. I haven't added anything to the Letterboxed. Interesting. You're still keeping up with that. Eh? I'm so impressed with that. I, I stopped my my email subscription because I was like, well, I keep me. I keep up with it obsessively because I am just. Um, uh, You're so far in. I'm a blankophile. Like I just love like collecting things, and I feel like sure. it makes me more of a full person if I'm able to to fulfill all my emptiness with having seen more movies and being able to tick more boxes. There's nothing more gratifying than ticking boxes. It's true. So I'm well on my way to my 900th 900th movie. Um, <clears throat> what's more interesting, I think I shared this with you before, is that I surprisingly have seen fewer than a hundred movies that were released before my day of birth. Um, 99 to be exact. 99 of the 875 movies or whatever that I've seen, 99 of them were released before I was released. Uh, And so I don't know what's going to be that hundredth classic, that hundredth oldie that I watch. But Ross and I were thinking we might do a Star Wars podcast where we watch um, American Graffiti, which is uh, George Lucas's directorial debut. Um, yeah. and I've never seen that. So that might be it's got like Ron Howard in it, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's in the fifties. I think it's like, it really kind of gives, um, it, it walks so that dazed and confused can run. If that makes sense. It's just like yeah. a, a night in the life of this, like retro crowd of, of free and raunchy teenagers, except can't be that raunchy. Hilarious that it was George Lucas's like first vehicle. It's the only thing he's ever made that wasn't science fiction. So weird. Yeah, it doesn't Did fit. Did he write it? I think. I think he wrote uh, and directed it. I don't know for sure. Uh, he's not He's not famously the world's greatest screenwriter. Right. But he does have cool ideas. He can be a good shepherd. Speaking of Lucas, did you watch Book of Boba Fett this week? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Do, are you finding it like, whoa, what a relief. Again, it's not a Book of Boba Fett episode. It's like, <laughs> he is in it for a sec, but he has no lines. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know. It's very bizarre. It's very imbalanced. And if the show had been called something else, if they had like come up with a cute little nickname for this uh, band of merry men they're, they're putting together, and that had been the name of the show, then we could accept the four episode Boba Fett arc as its own arc, and then we move on to other people. But right. they're establishing now here in the final act of season one that it was about uh, Mando and Grogu all along. That like really they continue yeah. to be the heart of not just their own show, but other people's shows too. <laughs> yeah. Having said all that, what a tremendous pleasure these last two weeks have been. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. This this one was uh, the CGI on Luke Skywalker was insane. Like I thought it was kind of shoddy in the last season. Yeah. This this time around, it was like they figured everything out. They so uh, out a, a little background on that. Um, okay. Star Wars has periodically over the last five or so years been doing more of this. Obviously, they they put Grand Moff Tarkin in in Rogue One. They were able to put Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. They yeah. also indirectly, you know, they being different people, were able to young down Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Civil War, I think it was. Right. And of course, then yeah. Irishman fits into this equation somewhere as well. This uh, facial replication or replacement onto other actors or just like the de-aging of people computer-wise is becoming more and more common. And it's a whole ethical conundrum. Um but it is interesting when done well. The thing is, and the, the term I've come up with is wonder goggles. The first time I see it, I always have wonder goggles. And I'm like, wow, what a great time to be alive. That's perfect. I'm completely convinced. That looks exactly like Carrie Fisher. And then the second time you see it, you don't have wonder goggles anymore. And you're like, that's eh, imperfect. And that's kind of how I felt about when we last saw young Mark Hamill in Mando. Uh, wonder goggles the first time. Second time, I'm like, still good, but like, you can see the you can see the cracks. 
Oh, I thought it was better this time. Now his like mouth and stuff matched up to the audio wasn't. So, yeah, it, it didn't seem natural. So this is but, what I'm, what I'm building to. Um, okay. After they did him the first time last year in Mando, a bunch of like YouTube deep fakers, like amateurs, took to the streets and did it themselves. Because what Lucasfilm had been doing was not deep faking, like in a clinical sense. Right. They were actually like facially reconstructing using CGI. But deep faking is another way of doing it where they like import a bunch of footage from this person and use it to create essentially oh. an AI for this new animation. Um, and there's this dude on YouTube named Samook, I think his name is, who does it better than anybody in the world. And in between the last time we saw young Mark Hamill and the most recent time this week, they hired Samook. And now they got him to deep fake their people. And so that's why it's better. Oh, but but you still didn't have the wonder goggles on this time around. Like you were still less impressed. No, I think you misunderstood me. I I had the one okay. I had the wonder goggles. Uh I always have the wonder goggles the first time I see the new thing. But right. when you when you repeat view as I do with all Star Wars, I usually see. you start to see the light coming through the cracks. Um mm. and I haven't rewatched this new episode of Boba Fett yet, but um I take it that They've done a better job than ever before, thanks in no small part to this new hire. Also, they, they just weren't um, stingy at all with their use of, of Luke. He's all over the thing. And being yeah. like really active, uh, you know, Grogu is cute as ever. Uh, there's lots of other like interesting canonical exposure in this episode. It, it was just, I, I mean, Timothy Oliphant, the object of Jen Slaney's derision and, you know, the top five coolest people I've ever seen in my life was yeah. was cooler than ever. Totally. Totally. Who is this villain? Can you go into that at all? I'm sure you and Ross talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Cad Bane and he is uh, a legendary bounty hunter. As I understand it, he was sort of a mentor and then ultimately an adversary for Boba Fett. And so they have history and they have beef. And so that Got he's it. been brought into the story is going to is going to make it easy, frankly, for, for Boba to be brought back to the fore. It's also, yeah. it, it creates a more interesting lead villain for the Pikes, who are kind of this mm -hmm. faceless evil syndicate and have been for this whole season. And so now they've got a really cool guy who's like fronting their operation. And was his sort of breathing apparatus like akin to Vader's? Like it looked like it was almost like a Vader-esque box hanging on the back and he had tubes like going into his throat kind of thing. I don't know if if it's the same or if it's just, I think this dude's just rigged up. I don't know if he has yeah. like respiratory problems. Certainly Star Wars <laughs> has, has used that to its greatest extent, I think. Right. Um, but like, I just love how much they lean into him being like, a, a dark hat that rolls into town and like he wears like yeah. a, a poncho and a and a cool black hat and like there's trembling fingers by triggers it's yeah. like just lean right into the meta casting of of tim oliphant totally yeah i thought it was good what else what yeah. else you watching um so i actually started watching um so we finished olive girl across the whatever yeah well i i still have two left so it could be kind of challenging for you and i to talk about it but we can talk sure. about a lot of it because it's not like i've only seen the pilot totally so watch all of that uh very quickly and then um uh the other th the other main thing i've been watching is righteous gemstones oh yeah which which i'm loving it, it's like a great i'm happy i got back into it and caught up and uh, now I'm basically almost on par with where they are right now in the second season. Do they um, start to be any more sympathetic? Because in the beginning, the only thing that humanizes them is that they're dummies. But they're yeah. such bad people and also dummies. And they're like murderers and like they're just like so delusionally <laughs> selfish in the first episode that it's you're supposed to laugh at them. But like, I hope a little bit of heart is brought into the story. Yeah, I think they got the memo that there had to be more like the eastbound and down days were kind of done. Yeah, like, you can't have like a a super, you know, kind of right wing bully as the like kind of anti hero. Like yeah. you just have to make them like lovable now. Um, and so, yeah, you see a lot of, more of that with like um, uh, Jesse, who's Danny McBride and his kids. Um, 
yeah it's it's a it's a good watch okay. and and walton goggins is at 10 throughout this series I, it's just a name i like to say out loud he plays he plays uncle baby billy <laughs> okay <laughs> he's so good he's really funny similarly um, to how i'm not i i don't really care too much for the comedic choices of john cena i kind of don't connect with adam divine yeah that's that's i think kind of a common refrain yeah okay like i i i think there's a lot of people that are like i don't get that and he's not he's not a huge part of it but what he does play is kind of different from what you expect all right like he's like less frat boy and more kind of like it's hard it's hard to explain gotcha uh, having said I'm, that i'm gonna do a poor job having said that i want to be careful not to be too um snotty about anybody in particular and this kind of segues me into a show show boner i wanted to address for this week's podcast because i listened to last week's podcast and mm -hmm. more so even than usual i just found myself to be utterly obnoxious in particular when we were talking about um the horny adventures of people born after 9 11 and how i said that i don't <laughs> oh, yeah. and how i don't i i was i think i said directly mindy is a bad writer or something you did say that yeah that's i just sound ridiculous when i say stuff like that i was surprised to hear that and and i i honestly i think i i stopped myself from revealing that part to jen because i was like i'm not gonna bother well like, i mean it's like perfectly okay for her for many of her productions to like not connect with me perfectly mm -hmm. for me to write her off as bad is it, I mean, it just comes off like very immature and babyish. And so I, I heard that and I just, I hated the sound of it. And I did watch that whole show. I finished watching it the same way I watched Never Have I Ever. And I'm like, yeah. I have these little nitpicks about the way it paces and the way the characters uh, relate to each other. And it it doesn't matter. These shows are watchable at the end of the day. Are you enjoying yourself? Yes, great. Yeah. And, and did you find that you got to a place where you liked it more at the end? Where you like, For sure. you know what, maybe a little tougher on it like the i felt like the characters like you've kind of fully got them at the end and that there was a lot more kind of sympathy toward all of them absolutely i i think i think my only note is that there's just not a lot of subtlety in the way they behave no, no. um it, it, to an extent that it just feels like a little unnatural um yeah but that's okay because it was a, it was a pretty good hang i think uh layton who was the the blonde girl i think she was easily the best in every sense i thought she was the she was best the best actor and i thought she was just generally the funniest um yeah. it's funny that you you mentioned that the kind of nerdy gal is chalamet's sister yeah i don't know if you had the chance to see it physically but like once you know she looks exactly like Tim, timmy timothy chalamet it's bizarre they have exactly really? this i still couldn't pick up on it like oh. i found out with a couple episodes left wow no it's the it's the eyes i think yeah yeah nice mm -hmm. um was she the love interest in king of staten island i think she might have been no um what's her name she's in like the the morning show this she's also in a, a movie i okay. watched called carrie pilby she's british actually the gal who's the the, oh. the love interest I was going to say right. Imogen Poots, but that's somebody else entire. I don't remember who she was in King of Staten Island. Yeah. I think maybe she was just like a pal at the house or something. Nice. Um, the other show I'm watching, which we're going to cover next week, but I got into it a little bit. I don't know if you did already. Pam and Tommy. No, it's, it's, it seems like we ought to be talking about Pam and Tommy this week because it is the big like pop culture thing right now but we have all these it's unfortunate because there are so many weeks where we don't even know what to talk about and then there's like four new shows out this week that are like cool shows because yeah. also that will yeah, our awesome. net show is out right now so we'll do that and pam and tommy oh, next that week came out today yeah awesome yes can you give like just a few uh thoughts on pam and tommy without like spoiling your 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 big idea want to save it for yeah sure year. um i think that it's uh there's it's a lot more well done mm. than the like like the typical like Gianni Versace murder show. Okay. It's like there are multiple 
you're you're getting multiple sides of the story it's like overall i think designed to be kind of funny mm-hmm. but while still staying true to the story it's based on a 2014 rolling stone article okay which i found so crazy like the, yeah. the true untold story of like the pam and tommy uh, sex tape. And I don't think either of them are involved, which I find so strange. Well, it's it's a little bit strange. And you remember what I said when they announced this show that I felt a little bit like they were, by making the show, they're running the risk of more people exploiting the tape, just like out of yeah. out of relevance and, and curiosity. And they're starting to form a bit of a uh, faux-righteous contingency online of people who think they're doing Pam and Tommy some favor by s- taking a stand against watching it because Pam and Tommy don't sign off on it. And right. I think the the real ethical solution lies somewhere in the middle because definitely if they're just doing this to take advantage of something that was like traumatic and, and upsetting for the real Pam and Tommy, then that's ugly. Except it seems more likely that they have a rich opportunity to explore our, and I'm pointing at myself, um, very unhealthy relationship with the concept of celebrity in general. Because that incident was really the genesis for people having an entitlement towards private lives in a whole new way. Does that make sense? Totally. And I think there's actually going to be, like when, it, when the show's like said and done, I think there's going to be a lot said about like, feminism in general and how this is kind of like highlighting like yeah pam never should have been like she was like the main victim but she was like a punchline on every late night show and totally doing that toward like tommy at all and they haven't even got to that part of the show yet but um but they're gonna be fair about the the depiction of that i assume yeah and and they do a a great job of you kind of jump from whose whose side you're on yeah. Every episode kind of thing, which is which is good. The other thing I'm not sure about is where I land on who individual stories belong to, especially if they're stories that happen in the public. And another example I would go to is this David Bowie movie that I don't know who made it, but Mark Maron was in it. And it's like essentially a two-hander about David Bowie just before he became like David Bowie. And he has this manager, and this manager is the only person who believes that this guy has greatness in him. And the movie takes place in like airports or whatever. And the David Bowie estate uh, condemns the movie, and they say that they do not sign off on this movie. And so there are a lot of faux-righteous David Bowie people who think they're doing a dead guy some service by writing right. on Facebook that this movie doesn't count. And guess what it does? Anybody can make art about anything. That's yeah. Those are the rules. And yeah. a little bit of me kind of thinks that like if David Bowie's sister has some problems with this movie, maybe it's truer than David Bowie's sister wants you to think. And I don't think that the movie right. is necessarily unflattering to him, but like these people who like take a stand against something that nobody asked them to take a stand against rather than just letting folks decide for themselves makes me a little weary. Totally. There was a, um, just while I'm on it, speaking of, okay. So the last episode that we watched, it, it made allusions to this movie called barbed wire. Okay. So Pam and Tommy, Pamela Anderson's in this movie called barb barbed wire. And it's literally, like, I remember seeing this movie poster. It's like Pam Anderson holding a gun up. I saw it in every single movie, like, movie rental place. It was always up in the store. They did, like, a full-out media blitz. They even talk about it a little bit in the movie. The image spoke um, to you. It stayed on your brain. Yes, yes. I was like, Jen, she was like, what is Barbara? I was like, I don't know who has ever seen it, but I've seen the poster, and, it, like, everyone has for sure seen the poster. And then Jen Googled. I'm going to look it up while you talk. Bar- yeah, Jen Googled cast of Barbed barb Wire. And she was like, do we know this guy from somewhere? And it was, so this is one of the cast members, Tamira Moyers, Mor- Morrison. Yeah, no way. Who was Boba <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to bring this up on the show, Jen. That's so interesting because I haven't known him to be in anything else. And this movie's no, old. And, oh, yeah, 1996. That's like five years before he was cast as Django Fett. Yeah. I, I do recognize the, the movie poster in that, now that I look at it. Dude, nice. It's so weird because I don't really remember when Pamela Anderson was like the hottest star in the world. 
I, I know from yeah. being like a person in the world and from becoming culturally conscious like shortly thereafter that she was like great looking and everybody loved mm. Pamela. But like, I don't know. I, I don't I don't really remember her being anything but kind of a punchline for better or worse. I was I was like really, really young when Baywatch was on. Yeah. So like you're a couple years younger than me. I, I don't even think it would have been really on in syndication. No, I've never that. seen Baywatch. I've never seen it. I've seen Home Improvement. Although I have a better memory yes. of Heidi than I do of whoever Pamela Anderson played. Yeah, what was her name? I think she might have also been Heidi. Two Heidis? I think they like were supposed to be. <laughs> they look each nothing other. alike. <laughs> no, no, not not even in the least. Uh, I watched a few Daves. I'm finally getting around to Dave. Oh, nice! Because it's on the Plus. It's on uh, Disney Plus now. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, perfect. How are you liking it? It's good. It's like I had I had no idea he was this neurotic. Like I mean, it's not the first time oh, yeah. at all we've had like a lead character be really neurotic, but he is like upsettingly idiosyncratic. Yeah. Yeah. But there's they do some interesting stuff in that show. Like it's not it's not a one-trick pony at all. Okay, that's good to know. He's not rapping that yeah. much. It's not really about him being a rapper very much. No, it's more about yeah, just kind of everything. It's about his life. His terrible anxieties. It's really hard to be him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But also it's funny. Like there's not there's not enough to like consistently be dark. Yeah. Because there's too many funny moments. Similarly, we finally finished Pen Fifteen. We watched the series finale. Oh yeah. Which was a long time coming. And honestly, through like the second half of season two, I was kind of, as much as I like still respected it because they were so committed to, to, to not being vain with this show uh, that it, I just found it quite exhausting and nauseating. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and not even because it was too familiar. Another error I think they made in the second half of season two is that they got away from school. Like they, they spend uh. a lot of time where one of them gets a boyfriend. And so they spend a lot of time in like musty basements or they do yeah. some artful episodes that aren't about the girls anymore. It's about like one of their moms. And it just kind of felt like a departure. And then in the series finale, they're back with their school crowd again. And they egg a house. And it just it felt really beautiful and, and relatable. And I kind of wish nice. that they hadn't gotten away from that. Um, really sweet ending. But they also kind of deal with... Uh, the getting older part and how that's sad and scary. And I was really surprised right. that they didn't take advantage of doing a flash forward, which they can do because they are 30. Yeah. And the show yeah, is, that is funny. The show is set in 2004 or something. So like they could have flashed forward to 2022, 2021 and just like not worn Oshkosh overalls or something. And yeah. it, and I guess I maybe it would have kind of like spoiled the comedic sensibility. Although the show is actually strangely grounded in spite of them playing cartoon characters. I don't know. They, right. must, they must have discussed it and decided against it for some reason. But it, overall, it was, a good show. It had to have been brought up in the, uh, brought up in the writer's room. Yeah, I think so. The uh, cast was revealed for that 90s show, to remind you that that 90s show is happening yeah. at Netflix. No mm -hmm. familiar names among the teenagers, although notably they're quite young, which is cool. Yeah. So getting some fresh faces. And we've also learned in this news release that indeed Eric Foreman's daughter's name is Leia, which right. is awesome. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice that he won that fight. Are we excited about this yeah. or is this a bad idea? I'm excited about it until I see it. Sure. Like, well, I, I, I'm, op I'm always optimistic. I think that studios in general right now are very uh, averse to a multicam studio mm -hmm. audience multicam and i get it there haven't been very very many good ones in a long time and we go in eras you know they'll come yeah. back eventually i don't know if we've ever had a good one on netflix but it'll be a little bizarre if they decide to do this single cam like will they be able to recapture the same attitude of the original show if suddenly it looks like different yeah i don't think they will like yeah I could see I it. It's a tough one because you're almost like expecting them to to do multicam, so it might be kind of refreshing if they do single cam. But then if then they might say, "Oh, that's missing." If they end up doing, I mean, they're doing single cam with How I Met Your Father, right? Like they changed form because they're afraid to have like the old format. Are they doing single cam with How I Met Your Father? Yeah, there's no laughter. Oh yeah, but but I think. Right. Is that the main difference? Well, I think sing no, single it, cam. 
Yeah, the main difference yeah, is the number of cameras. Like 30 rock. Correct. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would still say that it's it's a multicam sitcom. I think it's kind of, I, I guess I think it's kind of a blend, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I Like you said, I'll have to see it to know, but I don't want it to be too aformatic. I'd like for it to call back the old show because I mean, that 70s show is a show about nostalgia. So like do it the yeah. old way. It worked before. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the show ghosts on CBS. I kind of yeah. want to watch it. Oh, really? Well, it's, it's supposed to be, it's like, again, like a single cam comedy, which yep. CBS doesn't do at all. It just in the previews looks very networky to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw something earlier that, that made me think it might have some promise, but I don't know. Do you know anything about this show, The Now, with Dave Franco? No. I keep like, seeing a thumbnail for it on IMDb, but nobody's talking about it. And I mean, Dave Franco's out promoting this other show right now. And I don't know yeah. if it just kind of got buried or if I'm misunderstanding what it is, but it's called The Now. And hmm. maybe it's worth taking a look at at some point. For sure. We haven't talked about SNL in quite a little while. You're right. I uh, I I realized that after the last couple episodes mm. where we were like, oh yeah, we didn't talk about SNL and how it's gone. It was really nice to see Will Forte back. That like felt like a throwback. And Kristen's yes. there and like Keenan is obviously still there. Uh, well, I thought the McGrubers were actually pretty funny too. Yeah, like, they were the, for sure. Yeah. The, the Willem Dafoe episode for me was lukewarm. Yeah. And then there was another one that I was looking forward to. Uh, I forget who it was now, but I also thought Although it was I not great. I love that like Willem Dafoe had no shame You're right. in any of the, like he was, he was just game for whatever. It was hard to imagine him being as silly as he apparently was willing to get. Yeah. The eugenics uh, commercial made me laugh really hard. <laughs> I, I've been clocking all season the fact that uh, Kate McKinnon and Cecily Strong are not at all overlapping ever. Mm. And so for the first half of the season, Kate was out. She's shooting a, the Carol Baskin movie that nobody wants in Australia. Uh, yeah. And Cecily is having a really great start of the season. And then Kate comes back and immediately Cecily's gone. And she hasn't been seen since. Now, she right. is doing a one-woman show. So she's on leave. Oh, okay. The same way Kate was right. on leave. It just yeah. strikes me as as interesting that they basically traded off. And as soon as like Kate yes. comes back, she comes back into all these roles again. And I just feel like right. we're oversaturated by her. And I, I, we still don't see enough uh, Via Senor, who probably isn't going to be on the show that much longer and never really got to shine quite as much as she should have. Um, right. I think we see a lot of Heidi Gardner, who is good. Um, we're yeah. seeing more Ego Nuotum, who is good. And, uh, you know, we see a lot of Chloe Fineman. But, like, I, I think what I'm trying to say is that the cast is robust enough for both of them to, yeah. to get along. Uh, yeah. to, to, to move along. And I, I, I think that, as I've said before, I think that Cecily stands a better chance at, at making the leap, in fact. Although, I don't know what that's going to be because it's not going to be Schmigadoon. No, no, I don't think so. Hey, do you have an idea of how long Pete Davidson's been on SNL? Like eight years? Yeah, it's like nine years he's been on SNL. Well, we knew that he was eligible to leave the show last year because he kind of teased that he might. And that doesn't right. happen before seven years. Right. So, yeah, he must be in his eighth year now. Yeah. That dude is so famous. I think he is the, yeah. the most famous person they've had on SNL while on SNL in a very long time. Yeah. Since like Will And it's not, it's not necessarily translating at all to any of his nope. actual stuff on SNL. No, nope. literally like his level of fame is, is huge. It's the crowd and it's, and it's the tabloids and it's his extreme yeah. likability factor, but he yep. gets applause just for walking on stage. Totally. Totally. He, um, yeah. What was, what was he recently doing? Like he's always playing small parts too. Like there's never a big skit with him in it. No, although he was dressed up like Count Chocula again recently, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. I forget the specifics of that. <laughs> and you know, Mulaney's coming back for, for the five-timers. Yeah, let's talk about that. It, won't this be his sixth time? No, five times. It'll be his fifth time. Yeah. Okay. 
what a crazy like man he is just all over the place right now and this is his return to the spotlight other than one very candid and interesting seth meyers interview it's his first like public outing and i guess also some stand-up but he has some stories to tell and it'll be interesting to see how he tells them he also you know he has some um some trusts not to betray Mm -hmm. right yeah but i'm excited for the john mulaney is a dad era of stand-up comedy like those are going to be good tales yeah i think so too and actually his ex-wife i guess is like killing it right now she's on on tiktok no she like like turned to art and is like doing really well with like selling her art what i think that is is that she has always been an artist and she just got really famous on tiktok and and through and through the Mulaney tabloid thing, and there was this big right. uh, Harper's Bazaar piece about her telling her side gotcha. of the story, and so she's just gotten a lot of attention for her art. And did you read that? No, actually, because I I read some highlights from it, and you know it. it I kind of want. I think I need to take a step away from all the tawdry celebrity stuff. Sure, but she is sure. cool. Like I've seen some of her TikToks, and she's like very funny and 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 likable. And she got the oh, house nice. and Petunia. Uh, yeah, I figured she got Petunia, the dog that we know about for some reason. <laughs> Speaking of stand-up, I watched uh, Aziz's special. Okay. I liked it. Yeah. I, I was like, it was kind of a pleasant surprise for me. You know um, what I can't stop thinking about? And this has nothing to do with his comedy, but I can't uh, stop thinking about uh, joining Team Flip. And I'm not. Oh, gonna, yeah. And I'm not going to yeah. do it. But when he pulls it out, he pulls out his, uh, <laughs> I should clarify, he pulls out his flip phone because he joined yeah. Team Flip. And there is a part of me that just believes that that's the secret to happiness. And I yeah. I can't do it. And realistically, I shouldn't do it because it would be it would be an inconvenience on other people in my life for me not to have a smartphone. But yeah. like, I think that that is the secret to happiness. Yeah, man. I have a friend who does it in, yeah. in Ottawa. He like, he comes back and Halifax and you see him pull out his phone and he's like, Hey, uh, yeah, I'm just going to be there in a second. Bye. <laughs> and he's like, that's, that's the phone I have. I'm like, don't you work for the government in Ottawa? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, but like, as soon as I unplug, like, I don't want to look at a screen anymore. So he's like, I'm getting really good at, Hang on a second. at texting. He works for the government and he has a burner phone as his main phone. I think your friend is a spy. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's very uh, he's in communications for like the municipality. Of sure, all spies are in communications. Yeah, I suppose so. Yes, yeah, he sounds like he's, he's got he's you got fooled. Mics in his, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was very good. I, I think the part that I laughed hardest at was uh, <laughs> Jen was laughing really hard, and that was making me laugh at it. Was he's like, uh, are we kind of curious about Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Like. I'm a critical thinker. <laughs> he's like, hypothesis. I don't know if I want to get. The- I, the- I don't know if I want to get the vaccine. Conclusion: <laughs> Not going to get the vaccine. I like when he says, "I feel bad for him" because it's like he's a he's just a, a football player who's failing science, and we're all laughing at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, uh, football, let me see if I have this right. Uh, on like Sunday. They announced that Brady's retiring. And then yes. two hours later, he's like, no, I'm not. And then two days later, he's like, yeah, I'm retiring. And really he just because he that, wanted to like contain the announcement for himself, which by the way, I guess is fair. Yeah, oh, it's totally fair. Yeah. But but I, here's what I think happened. I think they communicated that he was retiring with like with the reporters and said, hey, like we want you to like break it when it happens or whatever, but like that's not going to happen. We got to have the conversation with the GM and stuff. So what Brady was saying was, I haven't I haven't discussed retirement with like my coach or GM or anything yet. There's been no announcement on this yet. So there was a couple of conspiracy theories that he was trying to make Adam Schefter, the, the reporter, kind of look like an idiot because okay. he's like broken stories before that. He's, he's always the guy who's ahead of the curve, who's like, on Instagram. And I think Brady might have been burned by that a couple times. So it was like a bit of a revenge thing for him to be like, yeah, you can let it out. And then him come back and be like, what? I didn't say that. Like, oh. and so everyone's like, Adam, you like, what are you talking about, man? He's not retiring. Like, 
Or, and then like now when he officially posted it, everyone was like, oh, are you sure this time? Yeah. Like, really kind of. So they hurt his credibility a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. How do you feel about this? A- am I wrong to to feel like this is not the first time he's retired? Um. Yes. He's never retired before. So he hasn't retired before. No. Okay. He, uh, so he left the Patriots two years ago. And right. He, started playing for Tampa Bay. That was like the big thing. So the Patriots fans were all like pretty, pretty hurt, but also would cheer for him. Anytime the Patriots got eliminated, they kind of just yeah. turn over to Tampa Bay and be like, oh, let's see how Tom's doing. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm not sad that he's not going to go on and win like three more championships with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because it also kind of like kills me inside to see him win a Super Bowl with another team as well, much as I'm cheering him on. It also, and I'm, I am somebody who generally just like is in awe of greatness. And that's where I tend yeah. to, to put my, um, uh, that's, I, I align with greatness, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's the same reason, the same reason yeah. I like, like to watch LeBron because, because he's the best and I can count on him being the best. So if I were a football oh. fan, I guess I'd be a, a Brady fan for that reason. Um, but it also kind of breaks the game how good he is at it. Like if he if he were to stick around for another three years and win three more Super Bowl rings, that's I mean that has to be boring on some level. That kind of makes football seem like his bitch in a way that's not as entertaining. Here's the, here's the thing that's cool about Brady. He was drafted sixth round, meaning he was drafted like like one hundred something overall as a backup quarterback. Played like. His all-star quarterback got hurt going into the final, like, four games of the season. He played, brought them to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And his, like, so it was, like, already a Cinderella story. This guy had no right winning a Super Bowl. Which kind of also breaks football. It's kind of like, well, this, this, like, this numb nuts came up from the field. This guy can barely, like, stand up straight. And he wins all the Super Bowls. He's just better than football in general. And so, so here's the here's kind of where it gets where it gets good because he starts being like becoming obsessed with this. And so he's not like LeBron, who was like always expected to like be the number one guy. Sure, he's like an underdog who happens to get some playing time and then wins a Super Bowl and then is then the starting quarterback. And proceeds to win two more Super Bowls in his first like three years. Mm -hmm. So then he starts like taking like diet and practice and like seeing like patterns. He takes, he starts doing like pattern recognition, like exercises. And then he starts incorporating like going to bed at like eight o'clock and stopping eating like he's like vegan through the, through the season. And the, like by the time he's like mid thirties, I think he's like full on psychopath, maniacal, yeah, about yeah, and um, but he looks like he's twenty. Like he looks younger now than he did when he was twenty. I don't know if he's actually had work done. Like he kind of looks like he hasn't had work done, but his face has completely changed. He does so, look like he's had know. work done. He kind of like he when he looks into the camera there's something kind of uncanny valley about tom brady okay he doesn't feel all there do you know what i mean good okay that's good to see i've just seen him so much my entire life that i don't see it anymore Mm -hmm. that makes sense but um, he's also just incredibly rich and famous and like generally people as rich and famous as him like they look a little plastic eventually yeah that that's very true in any case to see him at the age that he ended up being and every year being counted out and like Super Bowl 49 and then like, you know, the, the interception game where he ended up winning and it was like, oh my God, first time in 10 years, the Patriots won a Super Bowl. And then they managed to win two more Super Bowls. Yeah. Or was there, yeah, two more Super Bowls after that. So <laughs> I was like a fan who was following them, got to see the first or the like third, um, the third Super Bowl in like 2004. That was like the first year I was seriously following them. And then had to wait like 10 years for the next Super Bowl. Meanwhile, they're always like in the mix. They're always one of the top teams. And they got to two Super Bowls, lost those. Mm-hmm. So I was like a, a huge fan in like high school and early university. I was just watching these losses to a shitty team 
the New York Giants. And then he ends up breaking that streak, winning three more, which I got to see, enjoy, celebrate. There are videos of it. Um, and then he goes and wins again with Tampa Bay. This is over the course of 20 years. Did you just imply that you were at the Super Bowl? There's videos no. of you. You didn't see the. No, Super there's Bowl. videos of me celebrating. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. What does a guy with this much stored up football obsession do now? Because he's not going to be a broadcaster. He doesn't have the charisma for that. He he could be no. a manager. He could like like own a team. I guess. Every everything is just like his his lifestyle brand, his TB12 method. It's like he's like forming this whole food lifestyle uh, about lifestyle clothing all of that stuff he's okay. not he's not going to be an announcer for sure he's not going to be a coach he could be a a minority owner in like a a team maybe like a general manager down the road but not uh not that he has to do anything he certainly doesn't need to do anything it just seems like when you're like 37 or whatever he is like or no i guess he's older than that isn't he? he's like he's 44 yeah, he's 44 right he's old but He's not old by anyone else's standards, so like I, I guess he has a lot of life left in him, unless he were just to die because you know his heart's broken. But he's like the oldest player to ever play, and he like right. had a phenomenal final season. He I forgot broke... that that's part of the Tom Brady story. Yes, it's incredible. Like yeah. he, he broke record, he broke quarterback records this year, <laughs> as the, and he looked fine. Like he's retiring, not taking any dust. Like Peyton Manning and uh, like. Uh, Troy Aikman, like a couple of those guys retired. Brett Favre, they they all retired when they couldn't really play anymore. He's going out on like the highest note ever, Michael Jordan styles at age forty four. This is my point. He makes football look less impressive. Yeah, I think that's what. Well, I, I feel like that's what. Um, it was funny because actually Rick at at work posted on there was like a CBS page and he, and someone was like mentioning Tom Brady and he was like, Oh, we got to give it a rest. He didn't even make it to the big game and everyone's still talking about him. What's going on with like, and I just replied oh, yeah. to him like, well, wow, Rick, you must've been really, really hurt by all of these Brady wins over the years. To the point <laughs> that you're like, oh. And he put like, Oh, please, Matt, just my opinion. You're <laughs> not like, impressed. Are you really not entertained? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, he was like, why is he getting so much attention? Oh, I don't know. Cause he's the greatest football player of all time. Maybe like, the most decisively greatest athlete in his particular discipline ever to play any game. In fact, like there's yeah. usually a discussion about other people and there's really no discussion to be had here. No, not at all. Like he is by far the goat. They were having goat discussions like three Super Bowls ago. Yeah. Right. Well, that's it for uh, for for entertainment news for the most part. Dakota Johnson uh, in talks to play Madam Web in the Sony Spider-Man verse, not the MCU. I don't know why they even do that. I guess for um, Tom Hardy reasons. Um, oh, we have Kaplan Corner. We have like a, a ton of Kaplan oh. Corner this week. Strangely, um, she's she's not going to be in the Party Down reboot. Although Jennifer Garner and James Marsden will be. Yes, saw that. So that's kind of cool. Um, and this is directly Kaplan Corner. Uh, the novel Fleischman is in trouble is being adapted into a, I think it's a TV series starring Lizzie Kaplan, also Adam Brody and Jesse Eisenberg, which is a solid cast. Yeah. Wow. And there's going to be a Fatal Attraction TV series starring uh, Lizzie Kaplan and Joshua Jackson, Pacey Witter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So she's busy. So she's she's going to be the Fatal Attraction now? Maybe it goes the other way around. I mean, they got to do a gender swap on Fatal, Retra Fatal Attraction. And Joshua Jackson's going to be like crossing his legs really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just going to do some weird Pacey shit, just like mad about the girl stuff. Sure. He'll have his, his like tank top on underneath a button up shirt. And his <laughs> Sailboat. <cargo> pants. Yeah. <laughs> Gives her a wall to paint. Totally. Here, take my puka shell necklace. <laughs> Oh, I loved that show. I loved it. Let's talk about other shows. I, I think it's yeah. your turn to pick. Uh, I'll let it be your turn. Which which show do you want to recap? I'll go ahead and recap The After Party. It's tough when you've seen a bunch of both shows. <laughs> I've seen all of each of these shows. So I'm I'm trying to go back. I Again, for the listener, if you have to fast forward, I don't blame you. I don't do a great job of recapping. I should 
take notes before and like write a little summary for myself. I don't usually do that. I try to just get it off the top of my head. I take it as a competition. That's well, you and I have both just sunk into like watching 30 go by and going, and my time's out. And then we just keep talking. (laughs) Yeah, we got to finish it. (laughs) All right. Well, you do your best to recap the first episode of the after party. Is it after party or the after party? It's the after party. party. What's Sam Richardson's name in it again? Anik. 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 Yes. Why is that did I right? forget that? It is. A- it is Anik. A-N-I-Q. I just watched it like an hour ago. Okay. You recap the first episode of that in three, two, one, go. Anik is going to his high school reunion. He wants to meet up with his uh, crush, Zoe, um, who ended up just, just leaving her, her man. Uh, meets up with a bunch of people. Uh, Xavier is a pop star, Dave Franco, who is back at the reunion, invites Zoe back to his house. And then Anik basically finds his way there, gets super drunk, passes out. When he wakes up, uh, Dave Franco has fallen. Tiffany Haddish comes in and starts questioning him. So it is a, uh, you you did it in about 30 seconds, by the way. Congratulations. Um, It is a murder mystery format. That's important to, to note that Tiffany Haddish is the detective who here is going to get individual accounts from all of our main ensemble cast. And each one is going to tell their own side of the story in how Xavier died by falling off his balcony into the rocky shore. Um, And each account is going to be illustrated in a different cinematic genre. So because Anik is in love with his high school lab partner, Zoe, and his whole story is kind of like meet cute and kissing on the bleachers and everything, his story is a romantic comedy. But like the next episode is... I think it's Ike's episode and he's he's like a douchey broy guy and so his is an action movie and so there's all yeah. this different like genres which I think is cool if a little gimmicky it also and you'd know better than me cuz you've seen multiple runs the risk of being not as appealing to you every time as it was some of the other times does that make sense Yes 100% Okay Yeah so far I think they arranged it in such a way that they were like trying to get the trying to balance the like fundamental story, which I think is a unique story and then going in or like in kind of a, a way of this, the stories that become the most interesting as they move on. So right. And they go into Ike Barinholtz. And then after that, Ben Schwartz, Ben Schwartz, I think you'll, you'll really like that episode because it's a musical episode. Oh, I love that guy. I, yeah. you know, and- I love that guy. I, I totally know. And John LeJoie was actually the guy who wrote all the music oh, for it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So interestingly, the opening shot of the series and the is... Songs, the songs are bangers, by the way. Great. I can't wait. I haven't heard the name yeah. John LeJoie in very many years, since I was in high school, I think. Um, the uh, the opening shot of the series is Dave Franco, like his head hitting the rocks. Like he dies right away. And yeah. we go back into the house and the cops show up and everybody's like kind of rocked by what just happened. And already there's all of this weird evidence that you are going to have to learn about. Like why is Anik's shirt wet or like, right. well, you know, why is this person upset? Why? Um, and so you get a little bit of, of story here in the first episode. And that's, that's interesting. I, I mean, the web that they're weaving is complex and that's always what's most impressive about telling these murder mystery stories and it is kind of like a Agatha Christie knives out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't know why it took so long for murder mysteries to make a comeback. They're just like a perfect uh, vehicle for great ensembles to do one-off You're so things. right. People were like, wow, murder mysteries work really well on podcasts. And it took like still a couple of years to be like, oh yeah, like we should put this back into entertainment. Yeah. There was like a little bit of footage came out today from Knives Out 2 for this big like yes. package that, that Netflix put out on YouTube and you just get like literally two seconds of Knives Out 2. Um, yeah, I saw it. Which is kind of exciting. And also um, Death on the Nile is coming out really, really soon. And there's this mm-hmm. weird uh, juxtaposition right now where like Kenneth Brana is probably going to win an Academy Award in a couple of weeks, uh, but for another movie. And also right. everyone else in Death on the Nile is quasi-canceled from Army Hammer to Russell Brand to Letitia Wright. Like all, all kinds of people are like uh, anti-vax- anti-vaxxer to answer your question. Um, uh, it, it's just like a murderer's row of people that you are kind of nuclear in this day and age, except also Kenneth Branagh, who is like maybe having the best time he's had in decades. Right. Whoa, crazy. 
crazy. Really? And, he, and he's he's nominated for Belfast, right? Yeah, uh, the nomination's coming in a couple of days, so we'll have that to talk about on next week's podcast as well. He's okay. going to be nominated for sure for both screenplay and director. Nice. Um, oh, right. He wrote and directed. Really excellent uh, cast. Uh, Ike Barinholtz, Ben Schwartz, uh, Sam Richardson, uh, Alana Glazer. We've got... Um, Dave Franco. Dave Franco, of course. I was a little nervous that we weren't going to get much of him, but he is in a lot of flashbacks as both like satire. And also I kind of feel like some celebrities are like that. Like I kind of feel interestingly, like Jonah Hill is a little bit like this guy. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Uh, He, he's actually in, and I was super happy about that. Like in every episode, he's in it just as much as everyone else. Uh, Zoe Chow plays uh, Anik's love interest and we've seen her in yeah. like Love Life and she was in she was in that movie uh, Downhill is it called the Will Ferrell Julia Louis-Dreyfus marriage movie um, it, interestingly like her the actress's name is Zoe Chow and the character's name is that also and I don't know why yeah. but right. that's like a thing in I, the show I started worrying that I was saying the wrong name because I knew it was Zoe Chow it is Zoe Chow um and it's a Phil and uh, Phil uh, Lord and Chris Miller production, and they never miss. Simply never miss. No, they've they've hit every time. Actually, are the new episodes out tonight? Is it Thursday that they come out, or is it Friday? I don't know. I don't have an Apple Plus account. You can watch all of their pilots for free, but I'm gonna have to figure. Actually, I think Becky's gonna get a new iPhone, so that might uh, nice. Allow I was gonna to- say I got a new iPhone, so I think I have like a couple months of of Apple Plus, but. I don't know if I can give that away. Can I don't I, think you can. can I, I think like, that's nice of you, but I think it's all connected to your your Apple ID. They're very clever about that. Yeah. So so like we use Jen's because we're on like Jen's family plan, but I don't. Right. Anyways, uh, how do you feel about high school reunions in general? I mean, theirs looks really legit. I I didn't go to mine two summers ago. Yeah, I went to mine, and it was the thing was like not enough people went to it. Because I think they probably felt the same way about high school reunions that most people do. Like Jen's like, I would never, oh my God, kill me. I hate to go to I mean, I am still friends with most of the people I was friends with in high school, which I realize is a rarity. There's a couple of people that I guess it would be kind of neat to see. But for the most part, it would either be awkward to see people or I've seen them in the last year. And it's I can see them in other ways. In fact, uh, my friend Duncan got married on the weekend of our of our uh, of our um a reunion so like i saw people i cared about from high school then um nice and i also think facebook has kind of killed the concept of high school reunions i asked nobody you feels when, when that your, far away i asked you when your wedding was happening earlier and the reason i did that was because my friend is also getting married not in september actually in october he managed to get an october venue and just got engaged like a couple weeks ago Good for him. To be clear, I'm not getting married in September. I'm getting married in June. In June, sorry. Yes. My other friend Dan is getting married in September, but you guys were away from October. Was the, was the point? <laughs> yeah, I guess we had we did have a September wedding date at one point. We've had four wedding dates, and this one's gonna stick. That's God so damn crazy. it! It's gonna stick. <laughs> uh, high water. This was this was obviously very very good. My my only concern, I guess, is that it is gimmicky, like. Uh, a murder mystery as a format is already a gimmick. Like just that we have that title for it, like a whodunit kind of thing. Um, that they also throw in this genre-centric gimmick where it like changes its style every episode, all based around the fact that the detective Tiffany Haddish is like a cinephile who wants everyone to explain things, explain their memories in their 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 mental movies or whatever. Yeah, she says that in the first episode but it's not like something where she's like okay tell me your movie like she, okay. you're not beat over the head with that but still the fact that they change the genres every episode is both cool and i also worry sometimes that stuff gets greenlit based on gimmick ahead of based on story and i think that the yeah. story might be really good here i've only seen one but like this is kind of just an example of what i think could be a greater problem when when and i can't really think of a better example but sometimes shows are just neat in concept and not in story. And so I hope that this right. has both. I think it I think it will. Okay. And from the three episodes I've seen so far. Good. Can't wait. Give it my S for sure. We got our S's after party. I will recap the first episode of The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window, which I'm a little surprised does not become like a bigger 
deal just because right. people like trashy stuff. Um, yeah. But you've seen them all. And I've seen them all except for the final two. And so it will be challenging to, to recap just the pilot, but I will do my best. Okay. We're going to recap uh, that show in three, two, one, go. Anna lives in a big house all by herself, and she spends most of her time just drinking bottles and bottles and bottles of red wine and sitting in her armchair uh, and looking out at the house across the street where this man has just moved in, just he and his cute little daughter. And she sees some scars on his body um, and... She she meets the little girl and she goes over there and has dinner and everything seems really nice. But then also, uh, what is the main conflict of the first episode? I don't remember except for that. Oh, yeah, he has a girlfriend in the end. Shoot. Okay, ran out of time. Um, I realized that I don't remember what the big eerie catch is in the first episode. I, I mean, I, I think I, the thing is. Go ahead. So she like thinks she has a a daughter when she she you know she like reaches in grabs the casserole drops right. it oh the casserole yes like, tries to like take her daughter to school but then shows up at the school and like her daughter's not there and you learn that she doesn't actually have the daughter and everyone's like oh she's got like a drinking problem because her family died or her marriage fell apart and her daughter died and you're kind of just learning that stuff and then the new person moves in across the street uh, right, and so she goes to that. take him a casserole, and halfway across the street, it starts to rain, and she's paralyzed with fear, and she passes out, and the casserole right. smashes on the ground. She goes through like eight casserole dishes in the first two episodes. Yes, um, which is, but like it's it's supposed to be kind of the the joke. Well, that's the thing. The show is absolutely a satire of of this kind of show. I mean, just the fact that it's called the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window is a play on right. the woman in the window, the girl on the train, gone girl, like this type of like vague title. That's almost a sentence, but it also just like alludes to there being a, a complicated, dark female protagonist. Um, and it has a real pr pretty little liars vibe. And so like yeah. it, it is, it is all the things it's lampooning. It's it's like yeah. eerie and like there's maybe some like um, like thrasher violence, um, but also it's self-aware. It seems yes, to be very conscious of the silliness of all the casserole dishes. Totally. But don't you find it's also, especially in the first episode, too subtle? Sometimes. Like there, there are some things that are like scary movie level, like funny yeah and other things that are like you kind of just have to be paying attention to it a little bit like yeah for instance the guy fixing the mailbox just constantly fixing the mailbox well i found that funny well and, and i don't want you to spoil anything for me but like i've watched this whole like almost the whole season thinking that there's going to be some kind of twist involving the guy fixing the mailbox. Cause you're right. It's, it's just so eerie and some weird stuff does happen with this guy. Like he gets a nail through the hand at one point and he's always right. just like this ghostly state of calm and he calls her miss Anna. It, it's just this very bizarre thing. Um, but I, I laughed. I laughed immediately. I don't know if anyone else did when she's like, Hey, Buell, how's that uh, mailbox going? And he's like, Oh, and he just holds it up and he's like, <laughs> taking me a while it's a tricky one <laughs> it's really like you just affix that to the post like, it that's all there is a comedy um yeah. and in an in an intentional way but it also has all of the facets of of being like kind of a juicy thriller and you know s similarly to that mindy show we were talking about it doesn't have any subtlety but it's actually yeah. like pretty fun to watch um yeah and and also like the story itself is interesting so to give away some of the first season, um, we discover that this like handsome dad who moves in across the street and she finds like pretty appealing because she's lost her family. And so the fact that he's like a man with a daughter is like interesting and could maybe fill a hole for her. Um, turns out he has a girlfriend and she immediately finds this suspicious. And then she looks across the street one night and she sees this girlfriend who she's already kind of been like butting heads with has been yeah. stabbed in the neck. And she basically yeah. sees this girl covered in blood just collapse in terror and she tries to tell the police and she tries to tell other people in the neighborhood and no one believes her because she has this reputation for being a drunk. Um, yeah. And she questions her own sanity for sure. And, you know, we get flashbacks that it's not clear if it's actually what happened or if it's just what she's imagining where this new neighbor 
kills basically every woman who comes into his life and like she could be next and then she does a lot of instagram stalking um but it's you know it's entertaining and i'm curious the the whole thing about how her daughter was eaten by a cannibal because <laughs> because her husband works at like a psych ward with the fbi or whatever and he just accidentally left her in a cell with a cannibal is yeah that is an example of the extreme comedy that you're that you're searching exactly. for. It's that, just that's, obscene. It's ridiculous. That's, that's <laughs> what you're looking for when you like. And and the father seems to not really have any guilt about it. No, she's like absolutely. He's like the together one who is yeah. like worried about her, and she's yeah. inconsolable. I am. It's really funny because a girl that I work with started the day out by messaging on Slack and letting everyone know that she'd watched this whole series. And was super embarrassed by the fact that she didn't cop to the fact that it was a parody <laughs> until the very end. And she's like, and I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, it's actually so embarrassing. But I had to like, just come clean about it. Well, like you said, it's kind of, it's it's a, allowing itself to be both things, both in earnest and in satire. And sometimes it's subtle. But I said like the, and you didn't think anything at the kid getting eaten by a cannibal and take your daughter to work dead. She was like, oh, I know, like kill me. So two uh, uh, mirrors for the character that Kristen Bell plays. She has a little bit of Eleanor Shellstrop in her because like she seems to relish being like America's sweetheart who plays crass and heavy drinking, like not very likable yeah. people. But then also... Um, some of her investigating reminds me specifically of crime scene scene of the crime from forgetting Sarah Marshall. Right. <laughs> Which would be like Veronica Mars. For sure. But Veronica Mars was like kind of in earnest. It was kind of, of the, it was indirectly uh, a love child of the Joss Whedon era. Right. It wanted to be yeah. like very positive and feminist, but um, was, it was for sure campy. This yeah. is campy in a way that's a whole other level. <laughs> crime scene scene of the crime is they should actually try to adapt that absolutely why don't any people on this street have ring doorbells like why why can't anybody right get any like this is a very affluent neighborhood nobody has footage of what's going on yeah no one's no one's been able to see it no um yeah the, the yeah they're i'm trying to think back on the whole series now but it was it was funny i found the the last episode to be pretty great Am I to uh, expect a whole lot of blood in the climax? A, it might be a little tough at parts. Okay. Yikes. Just like for for maybe like a two minute window. All right. Okay. I kind of I kind of thought that much. I do give it my yeah. S though because it's it's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. It's it's different enough for sure. It's playing um, with genre. And by the way, the whole series is like less than three and a half hours. It's shorter than the Irishman. Yeah. I, I like that the uh, the tombstone is always changing. Well, and, and that, when I noticed that, I started to wonder if her kid was even real or even dead. Right. Like I kind of wondered yeah. at one point, like is it possible that like she has some kind of issue and the dad just took the kid and left and she has rationalized it like her kid got right. eaten by a cannibal and that started to make the eating by eaten by a cannibal thing a little bit more grounded i was like oh she just right. she's cooked up this insane concept and when they first explained that story i was like this is just going to be one of many do you want to know how i got these scars type stories that's right. and they're all going to be increasingly absurd and then we're going to discover the real thing was either like leukemia or she's still alive and lives with her dad and when when right. the when the tombstones keep changing i thought that kind of affirmed that but then there was a moment right. later on where she's at the uh the cemetery and neil is there and he acknowledges the the tombstone and i was like oh okay i guess yeah. that theory's dead yeah the uh what was the killer's name too murder mike yeah i think so uh yeah the cannibals <laughs> something like that <laughs> maniac um, mike yeah yeah pretty good yeah i give it my ass yes me For too sure. me too not a whole lot of uh will smith news except for that he was nominated for a bafta which is the first time he's ever been nominated for a bafta and and very likely by the yeah. time of our next podcast he'll have been nominated for another academy award go off king richard yeah okay all right i see you will smith mm -hmm. 
So we were heavy on the Kaplan corner this week, not so heavy on the Will Smith. He will probably be a, a two times Oscar nominee by next week. Yeah. Two, three. Nice. He's definitely been nominated. What was the other thing he got nominated for? Well, definitely, definitely Pursuit of Happiness. Was he also nominated for Ali? Yes. Okay. I think, yes, that must have been the, the two. All right. So this would be three. Maybe this is his year. Yeah, it could happen. I don't know. I think I think Garfield is in the running for lead actor. Um, for what? For Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, gotcha. Big critical appeal in that performance. I'm trying to think of like who else is in the category. I guess uh, Jamie Dornan for Belfast. Maybe okay. Cage for Pig, but probably not at this point. <laughs> no, I don't think he's like into it, but I love that movie. I wish, yeah. you, I wish you were. Right. All right. Well, good luck to Will Smith, I guess. We'll talk about those nominations next time. Good luck. We don't trust you. No, no, don't trust him, but we still wish him the best and lots of happiness. Absolutely. <laughs> Good <laughs> never, luck, Will Smith. Never trust Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs>